I'm Isabel Allen, Editor of Architecture Today, and this is the first episode of AT Conversations. This season is sponsored by Inevidesk. Find out more at inevidesk.uk. I'm talking to Andrew Clancy, who's Professor of Architecture at Kingston School of Art and also one of the founders of the Architectural Drawing Summer School, which was set up to give teenagers a taste of architecture as a career. I'm also talking to Nana Biyamafusu, who is a practitioner and a teacher and was the tutor or one of the tutors at the very first summer school. So, Andrew, do you want to kick off by telling us a little bit about why you set up summer school? Yeah, I mean, it started uh, five years ago now, which was with a series of conversations about the nature of architectural education in the UK, I guess, and its precarious nature, given the fee burden that students have to uh, undertake. And also the effect that that was having on schools, which was that effectively they were becoming marketing engines to convince students to attend. And so open days and those sorts of things were geared around selling a course. Um, And what that happens is that a lot of students enter into architecture and by Christmas, it's not really clear to them if this is for them. And because of the debt burden cut off that happens in January, if you disengage before January, you you have a far lesser debt to repay. Uh, A lot of students pull out at that stage. And where we were was kind of my, I was saying to Neil, you know, if I had had that same pressure, I wouldn't be an architect today. I would have left. Uh, And the question is one of means, really. And so what the initial conversation was about, how do we find a way to make a microcosm of university which allows students to immerse themselves in that for a week and that it would have multiple levels that they would then be able to make an informed decision if they wanted to be an architect or an architecture student, but also they would carry conversations about what that was like back into their schools and thereby you'd build up a kind of understanding that in a studio context, you can be bad at things, you can be confused about things, you can be doubtful about things and still be good at the thing, the overall thing that you're looking at. So that was the start. So I think um, there's a few points that we'll, we'll come back to, but a key one is this, the fact that so many people go into architecture completely ill-informed, really, mm-hmm. about what they're signing up for. Um, and I guess as, as a more recent graduate, Nana, if I go to you, when you decided to become an architect, did you feel it was a leap in the dark <laughs> or was um, it an informed decision? I, I would say a bit of both. So um, I, ha- I have a parent who works in the construction industry. So there was a little bit of being informed, but I'd say that that, that information didn't necessarily extend to my career's advice at school. So it's very much still um, a, a, a leap into the dark. And that's even with some guidance. It still felt like a massive leap into the dark. And that I kind of knew the sort of scope of what an architect did. I kind of understood that it included a kind of... Um, channeling the creative energy towards kind of resolving a problem and kind of using those kind of logical thinking skills, but not really the everyday. So perhaps I'd imagined it more like something maybe closer to an engineering course rather than something that was, you know, fundamentally a creative act. Um, and I'd say that the same struggles that Andrew describes about that kind of December dates, uh, cutoff dates are really, they're, they're very real because mm. it was something I experienced and kind of coming to architecture school, always been quite a good student and all of a sudden feeling very overwhelmed and confused, but not necessarily understanding that that confusion was okay. And having a quite a serious conversation, my first year to going, I don't think I'm that good at this and I want to drop out. And 
I kind of can laugh about that today, but I think without the kind of um, exposure, you do actually, that not everyone will get to have a conversation with a very supportive tutor or will feel confident to have a conversation with a very supportive tutor. So you do wonder what happens to those who, who don't have those opportunities and haven't kind of had a, a kind of um, lead into architecture to understand what it's like, who might be actually very good at it, but just don't have, know at 18 how to position themselves in relation to the practice. I've got to say, I think that point about not knowing quite which aspect of the construction industry is right for you is really key. And I was um, looking, we've got feedback from students in the last few years. And one of them says, well, I thought I wanted to be an architect. And after five days of summer school, I realised I wanted to be a civil engineer. And to me, that's a real win. You just think, well, thank God, you know, absolutely brilliant. Absolutely. <laughs> a job well done. So um, again, I'll put this back to you, Andrew. How much do you feel that the point of summer school is, is to put people off as much as to um, attract people into architecture? It's neither, is it? It's to be honest about it and to be explorative about it. And, um And I think that there's a kind of a question in the heart of that, which was also part of the conversations before we set it up, which was that the response of some universities to this precise problem that we're talking about is to make these um, ridiculously, they would say supportive, I would say uh, pinned out architecture first years where the student is almost lured into a false sense of security mm-hmm. and then they're incapable of facing the challenges of a thesis or the professional context once they graduate. So it was like, how do you hold standards but allow this to be okay in a university sector that's increasingly being seen as a service industry where things like confusion, which are the feeling of your brain rewiring itself to an experience it has not had before, i.e. the feeling of being educated, sometimes that feeling is the good is a good feeling. They have to be essential parts of courses when the course then uh, is being encouraged to iron it out. So that is the, the essential part of how we set up the summer school is that we'd be honest, that the discourse would be at the level, not dumbed down, and that it would be based on skills that were easily available and to hand for the students and wouldn't be focused on technical acuity but simply on opening up a conversation. So they felt safe and they felt supported in making profound observations, actually, as everybody is capable to do about the nature of architecture within a few days of talking to the tutors. I I want to ask both of you really about the challenge of teaching that age group, because it's, you know, obviously part of the very problem is that architecture teaching tends to start with 18 year olds at a point where they've left home and they're very open to new experiences now, summer school is taking students at 16 or 17, which is not that much younger, but actually in terms of the structured learning that they're used to, it's a million miles away. Did you find that difficult, making the leap to engaging with younger teenagers? Um, yes and no. So yes, in the sense that uh, what we asked for initially is wrong. So we asked for drawings and things like that as a portfolio. And of course, that's sort of self-selected. And we got A-level portfolio drawings, which were technically proficient, but not explorative. Um, Mm. Now we ask for the student to list their three biggest questions about architecture. 
their biggest points of confusion and to show a few sketches that they took no more than an hour to do. Um, but then once you're getting into the level of talking to students, I mean, isn't it sort of true, Isabel, that there's a 16-year-old in all of us and the skin has just got a bit wrinklier? Uh, like, I re- definitely remember the need for people to talk to me at my level, and that was not a level below them. And I remember arriving into first year and nobody explaining to me why they were doing the course the way they did, which I think is sort of a basic Mm. thing. So the way we set it up is that we decided to look at architecture, not as history or not as historiography, but as a kind of built continuum and that, that you can look at it in fragments. And so we set out this theoretical lecture at the start which was about the fragmentary nature of experience and the nature of being in the world, which obviously draws on, you know, Dalibor Vesely and others. And we were totally upfront with the students. And ultimately it boiled down to them becoming fascinated by odds and ends, bits and parts, but how fast they got with becoming very sophisticated and observing those things and building places of meaning for them in their own personal situated response to the built fabric that they were being immersed in was kind of, extraordinary but also why should that be extraordinary these are highly capable intelligent human Mm. beings you know so i i don't know i understand where you're talking about the feeling of you know sometimes attention is hard to hold and that kind of thing but i think that's true of people in their 40s and 50s i mean i give lectures all the time i don't know that it's any different (laughs) this is 80 conversations with inevidesk experts in virtual desktop infrastructure for architects <laughs> and um, Nana going back to your mm. experience of summer school was, am I right in saying that was your first experience of teaching of tutoring yeah. yes I'd done crits before but it was my first kind of real experience of actually sort of teaching onto a course and that that's quite that's quite different from doing doing a uh, you know crits here and there because that's the twin side of it, isn't it? We know that we're, we're sending or inviting a lot of young people into architecture without necessarily that much preparation. Do you think the same goes for for teaching? Do you think that mm. actually lots of people are taking on teaching positions without having any sense of whether it's what they want to do or what they're good at? Yeah, I think there's a there's an assumption in the profession that a good architecture a, a good architect is always a good teacher, and I'm not sure that I I quite believe that because I think it's quite a different skill to be able to actually explain and to to nurture and to have a conversation um there's those are different um modes of practice and for me that was the summer school was brilliant in that because there's something you assume you know but when you're faced with explaining to a 17 year old you have to remember what you know and how to then explain it clearly as well in a kind of in a way that allows room for them to also mm. engage with the conversation. Um, and that was that was a real um, lesson in actually how to teach and how to hold a hold a hold space and hold a conversation or make space for um, the students to be able to explore what they think um, about architecture. I guess that's one of the things that always interested me about architecture is that actually we all have an opinion on it. We are all confronted with it every day. So there's nobody, even if the course, if even if architecture and the kind of English learning system is not engaged with directly at school, all the students come with an opinion on it because they live mm. somewhere, they experience the built environment. And it's actually about making the space to um, to allow them to think critically about that. Um, and then as a, as a tutor, it's 
it's really refreshing because actually you learn so much from them as well we set them a the first time Bushra and I set them a drawing task and thought okay that that's going to take about two hours and it was amazing they got on Snapchat they figured out some way to use their body in a digital way to measure the build and I'm like yeah we're done now yeah going through that and but then also actually for us as tutors you take that exercise you, you know you know why you'd ask your students to work with their physical body in a space to measure the space but actually had we communicated that well enough for them to understand why rather than perhaps using another method and then it gets the conversation open about actually why one would use their body as a measuring tool within a space and you can go back and really unpack that lesson rather than it being a you do it this way and that's it (laughs) you explain the why and I think that was really important. So I'm I'm really interested in this idea of, of you actually sort of learning from them and the students coming with their own perspectives I guess Andrew going back to your point about inviting them to just chuck at you the burning questions they have what sort of things are they coming up with at that initial application stage I mean an awful lot of it is well it it divides into a spectrum actually there are the people who ask the questions they think they should be asking Mm. and so there's a kind of um, a worldliness or a sophistication implied and they might ask questions about Corbusier or someone that they've looked up and they're very sweet and I really understand them (laughs) and I think that tendency to uh to hiding one's insecurities and obfuscation is very much alive in the practice of architecture among some of its most proficient people so this is what I like as I see this as proto-practice and then there are right the way to incredibly others and deeply sincere questions like I've never done art I'm sorry that I can't be an architect. Is there a place for me? Like really honest questions. And of course, I didn't do art in in my secondary school education. Um, Other ones to do with, you know, I'm confused about what decoration is. And I'm confused about the the difference between interior design. (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm confused about the difference between interior design and architecture. These kinds of questions. So they're huge. And actually, they're all really... uh, None of them are irrelevant. All of them reflect aspects of why we love this thing that we do and what we have to do as teachers, which is to expose the students to developing their own confidently articulated and situated response to all of this, for them to be meaningfully engaged practitioners. Um, And that kind of sits as a current running through it. Other things kind of come up, though, which is that the tutors obviously each year bring their own urgent concerns to the course and so that inflects as well and so there's Mm. a kind of um a building up of a knowledge base which is a human one obviously but which is recurrently enriching and kind of agitating both the exercises we do but also the kind of ethical context of the course itself that makes sense I guess so the issue about people being worried that if they haven't done art a level they're they're not in the game um was that a question you addressed when you decided to call it the architecture drawing summer school I mean did you worry that that brought about a risk that actually that was going to put off people that weren't naturally at home with the sketchbook Yes, but this was a conversation with Neil Hobhouse. So, uh, <laughs> so drawing was always going to be there. And I think the reason why, though, that we didn't change it was that on one level, it's the most immediate thing you can do. And 
the the idea that you have a drawing implement in your hand and something that you apply that to and you make a mark and that mark has a meaning. That is what we mean by by drawing. And we are aware that actually the people probably better placed to do a drawing in that sense might be the ones who have not done an art mm. A-level. Uh, because they become so concerned with the perfection of the thing that they're working on. And I have space for that myself. But you lose the urgency of just that messy muddle of trying to figure out what the rainwater pipe is doing the corner of the room. And those drawings are rarely elegant drawings at the start, but they're the drawings that you can pull from architecturally, right? Rather than the absolutely perfect thing. So in that sense, it could be putting people off, but I I hope not. In in every year we get a mix, like actually some people who are very good and some people who are, are not good technically, but very good exploratively. So it doesn't look like we're putting people off. You're listening to Isabel Allen, Editor of Architecture Today. This is 80 Conversations with Inevidesk. What is the way to scale this up? Because a summer school's been going since 2017. We have anywhere up to maybe 45 students and that kind of works. But obviously it's the tip of the iceberg, isn't it? In terms of the fact that every single school kid is coming out of school without having been taught architecture. Is there an argument for putting architecture back on the school curriculum? Is that actually just putting it into a narrow box that it doesn't lend itself to? I don't know. I, I was just going to say that I guess in terms of the curriculum question, I think when, and, and this is reflecting on my own education, I, I don't necessarily think that you need to be sort of being taught, because in my school, when I said, oh, I want to study architecture school, the first questions were, how good are your perspective drawings or how good are your technical drawings? Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, actually... Uh, not that good but I can draw and I can observe the world and I like observing the world I like to sort of walk around and I like to think about what these places are or even just the the human form or just observe and that for me when I started at architecture school actually felt like a stronger while my yes my technical abilities weren't there yet the ability to observe kind of more openly was much more useful to me in terms of learning to become an architect than perhaps really excellent perspective two-point perspective drawings would have been in first year and so I think um, I, I don't know perhaps the answer to whether it should come architecture should be formally kind of brought into the cur- curriculum but actually the natural conversations about spaces that we inhabit and actually just mm. having a much more general public discourse about architecture and the built environment will really lift the kind of I think also the public engagement with architecture and its practice and its um, um, resulting built environments, but actually would have a kind of generation that is much more able to navigate these conversations into into architectural practice or even not just even architectural practice, but other um, disciplines within the construction industry. If we if the if the curriculum had space to talk about architecture, not in a kind of technical sense, but a kind of lived sense. I suppose you you could look at that the other way around, couldn't you, and say, uh, I mean, you know, there's a whole argument for the way we educate children and you can look at sort of Steiner schools or Montessori schools or alternative traditions that have been much better at actually kind of pulling out Mm. issues like personal self-confidence and observation skills and trusting your instincts and understanding how you relate to the physical world and all those things. Um, but I guess you could turn it on its head and say, rather than trying to shoehorn an awareness of architecture into schools, is there an argument for, for example, having a first year built environment 
general broad built environment degree and then saying after year one you choose which way you're going um which would at least deal a bit with that issue of people just sending up in the wrong silos being demoralized and thinking they've made a terrible mistake mm. is that something that's on the radar in education circles um yes i mean there are talks about architecture foundation courses and i mean in the kingston art foundation we do have an architectural part of it that's expanding every year um on the i mean just to go back to the question of a levels and to be you know slightly controversial uh, about it is i've read some a level history books and i have problems about how the english curriculum is designed i'll be really honest about it as an irish person from a post colonial country i found astonishing things written that are not correct and i would have a massive worry about an architecture a level in a curriculum design context that includes those kinds of problems because it could mm. produce issues to do with an understanding of an extremely limited reading of the canon and a kind of misunderstanding of the nature of architecture which i think could set things back and so i and that's slightly controversial but it is it is something that needs to be said which is that a history of architecture can be a problematic thing a history of building and your own relationship to building and your own lived experience of building would be amazing and if that could happen, and then, of course, there's richnesses within that. And, of course, there are things that you might include uh, in, a, in a canonical understanding of the subject. But it would, it would involve a very clever person designing the curriculum. Um, and that's also something that we found with the summer school, which is that initially we did think, yes, we'd set up something and then we'd sort of start to systematize it. Um, and what we learned very quickly, actually, with Nana and Bushra in a meeting that we did at the end was that, and it's obvious, isn't it? Like you can have systems for everything, but ultimately it's a human thing. And education relies on the people in the room understanding what it is they're trying to do and being clear about opening that up and not posturing and not making declarations which can shut things down, but actually being sincere. So, and actually Nana was sort of instrumental in that in a way, and she made some very strong comments in that meeting, which were really helpful. And actually that really became how we look at it. And we went, well, actually it's not up to us to design a system, but it is up to us to provide an example and others will find their version of that example. It will be different to ours. And that's great because they're different people and that's as it should be. Um, so where, where I'm going very long-windedly as is what I want is then the kind of foundation thing you're talking about, I think would be, potentially transformative, not only in the sense that there's a different fee landscape for foundation courses, obviously, there's far less risk to the students attached to them. There's much more space for exploration within them. And you can drop in things of art practice and you can drop in things of engineering practice um, and you're not accredited. So you don't have this sort mm. of hammer of competency that you have to hit, you know, um, I think it would be amazing. Uh, I think I would be surprised if somebody doesn't set one up in the next five years, though. I would be surprised if somebody doesn't. It feels like an essential thing and it would attract a lot of people, I think. Yeah. I think I think you're right. And I think it allows a very different kind of teaching. And I guess, um, Nana, if I go back to you and, and your career as a tutor, do you feel that you've been able to find that level of sort of agency and freedom and... Um, open communication in a university environment 
I'd say I'm, I'm very lucky to teach in a school that fosters that. So that's been in, incredible. And it's been, um, Kingston, I think, is a very incredibly generous place for a student as well as a tutor, actually, in that regard. Um, I think the summer school was one example of that, um, having just recently graduated, but definitely having a kind of interest in teaching. I think it would have been difficult to kind of um, engage with that a teaching practice elsewhere but Kingston afforded the opportunity and I think that's really um that's really great and that it actually also um if we're talking about kind of diversifying a profession getting kind of new um and engaged voices that want to have different conversations is part of is part of that um that effort and I think that 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 kind of creating space for kind of new upcoming um voices who perhaps you know have something to say but perhaps don't know quite how to articulate it yet or um have years and years of experience something like the summer school is super important for for, for that space to develop a kind of practice as a, as a as a teacher and it's i think really important if we if we truly want to kind of change um really address issues about diversity in the profession it's not just the kind of issue of um, representation but what happens after representation so once you are once you've invited people in what are you actually doing to nurture their careers and what are you doing to make sure that actually other people that then come through the profession see themselves um, highlighted or visible I think that that's a good place to end some very uh, powerful questions thank you so much both of you congratulations you. on uh, your very key part in getting the summer school up and running into the place it is today And thank you very much, Andrew and Nana. You've been listening to 80 Conversations with Inevidesk. To subscribe, visit architecturetoday.co.uk forward slash podcasts.